and welcome to a brand new episode of the Always the Critic podcast. Today, we're going back in time. Uh, we are going to look back at the 20th anniversary of 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes, yes, yes. But it's because it's our 50th episode, y'all. Yes, what? 50. We've yes. made it to 50. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe we did it. And you know what? We're going to celebrate with a really great movie. Yes, like, we Honestly, are. it's so much fun. So much. That other voice you're hearing right now is my co-host, Jessica Furpy. What's up, guys? My name, of course, is Rico Barrison. So uh, for the people who have never seen this movie... Uh, I'll just Who are ex- you? Show me these people. Yeah, that it's a great question. But let me go ahead and at least uh, go through the plot synopsis so people know what we're talking about. So popular and pretty Bianca Stratford, played by Larissa Olenek, is in a dilemma. A family rule forbids her from dating until her unpopular, rebellious, boy-hating older <laughs> sister Kat, played by Julia Stiles, gets a suitor of her own. In an attempt to win Bianca, a potential boyfriend, played by Andrew Keegan, desperately attempts to set Cat up with Patrick Verona, Heath Ledger, another rebel who may just be able to win Cat's heart. So this movie, when it uh, came out and critics reviewed it, came out to a you know decent rating, uh, 68% Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Metacritic 70%, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's not bad for a teen rom-com because this is clearly a teen rom-com yes the entire cast is really young um and i mean it's been 20 years so let for those who don't know this is um this entire movie is based on a shakespeare play the taming of the shrew yes it is which is not a very i don't think that's a very common shakespeare play it's not like romeo and juliet macbeth hamlet the this play is a little lesser known um but holy hell, like they really sold it. It is such a good adaptation. Yeah, they do such a great job of mm-hmm. um, because you we were watching this movie, yeah. as, you know, to prepare ourselves for the show. And <laughs> yeah, we rewatched it together. And yeah, what were you going to say? All you were doing like the entire time was lifted, lifted, and lifted. Yeah, I was I kept it to the annoyance of um, my sister who was sitting next to me. She's like, stop doing that. But every time they had a line that was clearly lifted from the original play, I would just be like, lifted, lifted, lifted. <laughs> like I burn, I pine, I perish. I'm like, that's li- uh, straight up lifted. Yeah, that's a straight yeah. up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, uh, this movie celebrating 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually was released March 31st, 1999. So we're a couple Ooh. of you know, weeks behind that. But another movie that was released that same exact day was The Matrix. Yep. What a day for the movie theater. Two vastly different movies were released the same day. And they have very different legacies. Um, people look at them totally different. Oh, for sure. Um, today, honestly, like it's night and day. Yeah, it completely is because... Uh, obviously, you have Matrix on one side, which is just like a revolutionary sci-fi movie that... Sci-fi action, would you say? Sci-fi action, yeah. And it kind of changed a lot of ways that people started making movies after it, the way people mm. started filming stuff. Like, it created bullet time. People had never done that in a movie. Uh, so that was one thing. Now, this movie has a different type of legacy. I think it's more about the cast and who was involved in the movie and how that struck up and also that it's it's really funny really really funny 
that that year or in that time frame, there was other similar movies. How does this movie stack up versus other rom-coms or teen movies of that mm-hmm. time frame? Well, let's do teen movies first. Okay. So uh, some yeah. teen movies from that time frame. Uh, she's all that. Whew, it came out same year. Same year. Um, Freddie Prince Jr., uh, Rachel Lee Cook, yes, I think. Yes, Rachel and, Lee Cook. Oh, my God. I love that movie. So keep going. Uh, also, another <laughs> movie from the time period, at least, Clueless. It's a teen movie for yeah. sure um that one came out four years prior yeah um also in the same year was drive me crazy which is decidedly bad but it's yeah like it's bad it's pretty bad but i <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> like if it's on tv or something i always have to like stop and watch it oh my goodness and, and for those who don't know this is another this is a movie with um melissa joan hart <gasps> and the guy from entourage um I don't know what his name. I forgot his name. I forgot his name too. Anyway, it's not a good movie, but if you have a free afternoon and it is on TNT, you just sit there and watch it. Oh wow! Yeah. So, <laughs> and and another movie we're gonna uh, mention is Can't Hardly Wait. Mm-hmm. Came out in 1998 yeah. and uh, Empire Records 1995. Uh, out of that list, I think Clueless might be the one that you put it above. Put above it. I okay, so here's the thing. I'm not like a clueless person, right? And neither am I. But I think it's, um, it's still pretty funny. Which that's kind of a funny sentence. Like I'm not a clueless person, but yeah. as far as <laughs> as far as liking that movie, if it's on, I will look to see if there's other things on TV before I sit there and watch it. Gotcha. It's not a favorite. Right. It's not like this it, where it's if it's on. It, that's it. There goes the afternoon. There goes the afternoon. Yeah. Um, so in 1999, there was a lot Let's of movies. Let's set the scene. Let's set the scene here. Br- bring us to 1999. Take us back. What was in the box office? So back in the box office in 1999, um, a little tiny movie called Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was the number one movie <laughs> of the year. Which we will not talk about. No, we are not talking about that uh, movie. Um, no. Geez. So, um, M. Night Shyamalan was at his peak with The Sixth Sense, the number two yep, movie. Yeah, that was number two movie of the year. Pixar was getting the ball rolling with Toy Story 2. Um, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and number four, the aforementioned Yikes. The Matrix was number five. Yeah, fifth movie of the year. Um, and just to skip down the list, some notable movies from that year. Number nine was Runaway Bride, another Julia Roberts rom-com. Yeah. Uh, number 16 was Notting Hill, another Julia another Roberts Another classic, rom-com. classic. Yeah. Uh, 20 was American Pie. Another uh, teen movie. Another teen movie. Number 43 was Never Been Kissed. Cla- oh my God, I just rewatched that one. I friggin' adore it. Number, adore it. Number 52 was Cruel Intentions, which just Ooh. celebrated its 20th and was in theaters too. Mm. And number 53 was 10 Things I Hate About You, made $38.1 million at the box office. It's not a lot. You know, compared to some of these other compared big to movies. it's the number fifty three movie of the year of the year exactly, but it made a cultural you know significant. Yeah, but it is now in our zeitgeist. It's so, so often quoted and gift and memed and whatever else. Um, the entire cast is iconic. Yeah, and the movie is so uh, hilarious even today. So I think that this had it has outlived. Some of these other movies, like American Pie, 
Right. American Pie had its time for sure. Had its time. But 10 Things I Hate About You is so relevant today. And I can't put a heap enough praise on it. It's so good. Uh, Just to give you a little uh, thing, because we always mention them on this podcast because we love them here. It's TheRinger.com. A couple (laughs) weeks ago, they actually had 1999 Movies Week where they look back at some of the big movies of 1999. Yeah, turn of the millennium. Yeah, and so they ranked the 50 best movies of 1999, and 10 Things I Hate About You came in the top 10 for them uh, of the 10 best movies. It actually came at uh, number, I'm looking it up right now, number eight of that Mm. year, 1999, because it's a great movie. And... What's different about this movie, and I'll let you explain it, Jessica, is that this movie, like you mentioned before, has a influence from Shakespeare, from Taming of the Shoe. So um, there's other mm-hmm. movies that kind of followed that trend in in yeah. the early 2000s. Uh, why don't you give us a list of some of those movies? Oh, God. So honestly, 10 Things I Hate About You is, is far surpasses these, but here we go. So <laughs> Romeo Must Die in 2000. <laughs> was in 2000 and that one obviously is based on romeo and juliet that had a um aliyah Aaliyah in it before she died it had um i, I want to say dmx am i right <laughs> dmx <laughs> was in it and so was um jet lee yes he definitely was i believe in it. Okay, so there was that, and I recently just watched that, guys. It's pretty horrendous, but like I said, for Drive Me Crazy, it somehow, like, strikes a chord with me, and I'm like, okay, but I'm not mad at it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know. So, continuing, we have O, um, which came out in 2001. That also stars Julia Stiles, and that one's based on Othello. Get over it. I've never watched this one. But it came out in 2001 based on A Midsummer Night's Dream. And that one is with Kirsten Dunst. Wow. Yeah. Deliver Us from Eva, which (laughs) came out out in 03, also based on The Taming of the Shrew. And that one had LL Cool J in it. And Gabrielle Union. And Gabrielle Union. Who is in this movie. Yep. 10 Things I Hate About You. And then kind of going also like... This has left such a, an impression on the cultural zeitgeist. She's the man. Oh, yeah. That for sure. Yeah. Love it. 06 based on Twelfth Night. And um, I think just recently we're going to get one this year. Ophelia, oh. which premiered at Sundance last year. It's based on Hamlet. Stars Daisy Ridley. Ray in the house. I know. Ray in the house. And IFC Films just picked up the U.S. rights, so hopefully we should get a theatrical release, a wide release, so we can see it. Obviously, yeah. she's playing Ophelia, the title character. Nice. That And that's, I'm not going to, I mean, I guess I'll just throw this out there. West Side Story, 1961, Romeo and Juliet. Right. That is a Romeo and Juliet okay, story. It goes without saying, but just, you know. Once you're a jet, you're always a jet. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> So this movie, uh, we were talking about it earlier. It it la- it has a cultural impact that it left. Um, kind of like Mean Girls, like an adjacent movie. Yeah, to mean Girls. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that they li- they're in the same family of the type of movie mm-hmm. that we're talking about that are well written comedies starring teenagers in the in the starring roles. Mm-hmm. And so we got to give credit to where credit is due. The two writers, who by the way were women, uh, yep, both Karen, women writers. Woohoo! Yes. Karen yeah. McCullough and Kirsten Smith. 
Yep. Uh, they were the writers of this. They were. I believe they were rookie writers. Yes, too. they were. They were mm-hmm. rookie writers as well. Yeah. And this movie also uh, had a male director, uh, Gil Junger, who this was his first feature length film. Like he he was mm-hmm. from TV and in the DVD extras. <laughs> Uh, he actually said that as soon as he got the role, he went and bought six books on how to direct the movie. Yeah. So, like, he was to so try and nervous. like study up. <laughs> he was so nervous on it. So yeah. Um. So there's there's Which a is lot really funny to see like that it was written by two women and then we had a male director come in. And take the reins on it. And he saw a lot of potential in the script, loved the script, obviously, wanted to sign on immediately. And then in that same, like, video, like, extras video that we saw off the DVD, um, they were saying that he inserted a lot of the physical comedy, uh, like the motorcycle, like, driving off the cliff, the motorcycle scene. That was all his, like, invention to try and, like, get more laughs, I think. And appeal to a broader audience who might not be, like, so into the Shakespearean side. But, like, haha, this guy's, like, driving himself off a cliff. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he – and so you could tell, like, what some of the – at least the humor, like, the, you know, physical comedy. Because it makes right. its way throughout the movie. Like the arrow in the butt. Yeah, for sure. There's no <laughs> doubt that it was him. Yeah, that's all the director. So, so pretty funny. Now we mentioned the cast already. We got to talk about the cast. Hit uh, me, hit me. Let's start off with um, who the movie kind of focuses on, at least at the beginning, and it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. JGL. Yes, JGL. He was the new kid in the movie. He was already an established actor at that time. Yeah, because he, Angels in the Outfield. Angels in the Outfield. And he was on the <laughs> hit show, Third Rock from the Sun. Right, right. So he was already established as an actor. And he's doing pretty well for himself, you know, even to this day. Um, I think there was like a little break there in the early 2000s where he didn't really do too many roles. But then he came back and he started just... Hits after hits, Inception, yeah. The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Looper, uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer, just like you consider Looper a hit. It it's actually critically acclaimed and did pretty well at the box office, so I'm gonna give it a hit. Okay, we we'll talk about Looper another day, apparently, because I think we have different we have views on it. Completely different opinions on it. Oh yeah. no, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so I think that, he, I mean, it was a great role for him because he was just like that. He looked young enough where you could believe him as the high school, like, I think junior or whatever he was, or mm-hmm. maybe he was a senior. Yeah, he just had such a baby face. He did. He really yeah. did. And so he he really sold the part of, like, oh, I am a desperate kid in love with this girl, <laughs> and I'm willing to do anything just to be with her. Yeah. Um, it's really love at first sight for him. Oh, yeah, it really is. Yeah, for his character. Um, the next person I want to talk about is Heath Ledger. Uh, great this was the introduction for everybody to him because yeah because it was his first uh u.s film first film i think yes it was it it was uh apparently they had a hard time finding that character or that Mm -hmm. person that actor for that role and then he came in and auditioned and they really thought he was so charismatic that they they put him in the role right and they let him uh keep his accent they thought it was great um 
they just really liked Heath. They thought that he, what was the term? The director was like, oh, he needed to be masculine yet, you know, soft. And, you know, Heath met all of these requirements. Yeah. It, and it's crazy. Obviously, to, he had to act too. Well, yeah, of course. He had to act as well. It's crazy to think that the man that we see in this role and in and a couple of other movies that we see after this become the greatest movie villain of all time. Uh, yeah. So we're ta- – okay. We're kind of skipping ahead in his career, but we're talking about The Dark Knight. Right. His Joker role. Right. So because if you look at the different roles he had, if, if we want to go through them after 10 Things I Had About You, uh, some of the movies that are in there are A Knight's Tale, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had uh, Four Feathers was another one. I love one. Four Feathers. I highly recommend Four Feathers if you guys want some more Heath. It is so moving. Yeah, it is moving. I, I Actually, Jessica introduced me to the movie, and so it, it's very good. Yeah. Um, he was in a couple of smaller movies, like he was in Brothers Grimm, which didn't do Yikes. too well. Yeah, I know, at the box office. Lords of Dogtown. Um, oh, I forgot about Lords of Dogtown. He did have a small part in The Patriot. Uh, a small part? My God, he ripped my heart out. Well, yeah. Okay. And uh, also Monsters Ball. But I think what really set him apart was in 2005, he starred with Jake Gyllenhaal in Brokeback Mountain. Uh, that's what really, I think, set people. Yeah. At least people took him really seriously as a serious actor. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that role at that time. And that I think that changed the course of his career up until that point. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, and so then after that, he comes out with a couple of smaller roles in between, like Candy and Casanova, but then The Dark Knight hits in 2008. With a fury. Oof, completely changes the way we view Heath Ledger. Yeah. Because there are moments in that movie, and we've talked about it on a previous episode, so if you want to check. Yeah, we did another Rewind episode um, for the anniversary of Dark Knight, and we talked extensively about him and his performance in that. But basically, he redefines the the way we view villains, superhero villains. Yes. Uh, entirely. Completely. To the point where we're always looking to his performance and as a, like a measuring stick. It, it really is. And so... The fact that Heath Ledger delivered that, I would have never been able to say if From I would have seen. From this first movie. Right. If I would have seen 10 Things I Hate About You and you would have told me, hey, in the future, he's going to play Joker and he's going to be the best villain that we've ever had on screen, I would have laughed because there's no way. Mm-hmm. But he he really changed the way uh, we look at it, just like you said. And if you want to hear more thoughts about that, check out that episode. It was back last July. Uh, you could go to our website and check out the rewind episode, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, unfortunately, we he passed away uh, right after finishing the making of the Dark Knight, so we didn't get to see what else could have been with mm-hmm. him. So that's one of the great what ifs, uh, at least in our time in Hollywood. One of the great yeah. what ifs. He's the uh, River Phoenix of our yes generation. Yeah, uh, so. I want to uh, talk about a couple of other people from that movie, uh, Julia Stiles. Julia mm-hmm. Stiles, who 
I did she not. was 17 yes, I when she did that. 10 Things I Hate About You, which I did not know at all. You cannot tell that she is a 17-year-old. No. At you, all. You can't tell at all. And But she commands that performance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, she is, I mean, so strong in this role. And I don't know. She's. I can't see anyone else in this role besides Julia Stiles. Neither can I. And funny that you should say that. Um, and it's something that we learned in the DVD extras. Yeah. Larissa Olenek, who plays her sister Bianca, actually wanted the role of Kat uh, because she felt herself kind of similar to that person. Uh, mm-hmm. But I could not imagine her. No way. At all. There's no way. Kat. But Julia Stiles completely just commanded that role. And I know. I like what the director said. He was like, we, we were having so much trouble casting. Um, Kat, she was one of the last people that we auditioned and she showed up. And just in her shaking my hand and introducing herself, I was like, if this girl can read English, she's I'm going to give her the part. <laughs> yeah, that that was. So she just like blew him away. Yeah, just, so that was a really nice story that I didn't know either. Uh, since then, her career, let me ask you this. Has this been like her most defining performance? If you look back at her career, because I'm trying to think back um, in her career, she has. She was uh, in the Bourne series. Right. She's in the Bourne series. As she, kind of an accessory character. Right. She's in Save the Last Dance. Save the Last Dance, which um, for some reason, I think that she got that gig because of the dancing scene and 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, we'll talk about that scene. <laughs> Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, I think of the Prince and Me. Oh, okay. Uh, um, which what what is that? A rom com or just a straight up romance? I think that's a straight up romance. Okay. That is Julia Stiles, uh, starring alongside. Uh, I don't know what his name is. Luke I don't think Mabley. it matters. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. So you think of that movie, huh? When I think, think of, of that Julia movie Stiles? when I think of Julia and Ten Things I Hate About You. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, it's definitely 10 things I think I her career you. is pretty limited. Yeah. After that, I think of the Bourne series. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I look, she commanded the performance, and, you know, actresses would die to be able to be known for a, one role. Yeah. And this is not a bad role to be known for. Not bad at all. So, to round out the cast, we have Gabrielle Union. Yes. Who, by and the Andrew way, Keegan. She yeah. was 26 when she filled this movie. She is ageless. She is a queen. Honestly, she she's amazing. She does not look her age. No, she does not. At all. Shout out to her and Dwayne Wade. May yeah. that marriage last. Yeah, we pray for you every day. And so, finally, Andrew Keegan. <laughs> I need Andrew to talk about Keegan. This what can we say about Andrew So Keegan. for those who don't know, Andrew <laughs> Keegan is Joey. The guy who is trying to the get off the douchebag of the movie. Yes, the pure douchebag of the movie. He is trying yeah. to get with Bianca. And uh, so he's only known really for this movie because I, I can't even think of anything else he's been in. But let me look it up real quick. But tell me what he's doing now. <laughs> oh, man. This tickled me. Yes. So uh, we were trying to find out what, Ms., you know, Andrew Keegan had been up to lately. So in his personal life, <laughs> in 2014, Keegan founded Full Circle, a community spiritual center based out of Venice Beach, California. 
A vice characterized the organization as a new religion, while other outlets called it a cult. So in an interview, Keegan described the group as a non-denominational spiritual community center where people of all beliefs and backgrounds come together to meditate, practice yoga, and engage artistically. But 100% they're having orgies. Well, 100%. For sure. But, uh, <laughs> but, but here is the best part. In May 2015, the Full Circle Temple was raided by the Californian Alcohol Beverage Control Officers. The raid was apparently related to Full Circle's distribution of kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently a spokesperson for the kombucha. <laughs> A spokesperson for the temple stated that they were unaware that they needed a license to distribute kombucha and oh they closed their God. doors in June 2017. <laughs> oh man, full circle. Oof. So, uh, I think he's trying to like rebound. Basically, it looks like he has a movie, a couple movies coming out. Um, to be honest, his career is really just a flat line. Um, he was on TV a lot, so right. Uh, let me see, Seventh Heaven. Yeah, that's that's one people he was in twenty four episodes him. of Seventh Heaven. He was in Party, Party of Five, five yep. <laughs> for all of eight episodes. Um, he also made an appearance on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Boy Meets World, Moesha. Oh, my God. What a throwback. Moesha, Step by Step, uh, Full House. You, I mean, Baywatch. Literally every TV show you can think of that was popular in the 90s, he was – on at least one episode at least one episode exactly so yeah he CSI was in 2012 <laughs> <laughs> oh God. so anyway he was so andrew actor. keegan has lived a very weird life at least so far so far so yeah. uh that's m- most of the cast and we'll get to some of the other people as we go along because there's some things like that we're going to talk about later like the best scene best quotes so there's going to be more to talk about um, but really quick, another main aspect of this movie as, you know, is location. Yeah. This movie does not. It's unique because it's not in New York. <laughs> or in Los Angeles. It's not one of those two places. It's Amazing. in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funniest thing about this that we learned is that the movie was originally going to be shot in L.A., but they were going to do like outer shots in Washington just for B-roll and stuff. But the director fell in love with a school in Washington, so they moved the shoot with three weeks of pre-production mm-hmm. to go. So three weeks is nothing. Yeah. So they had three weeks to get ready, and say so they moved everything to Washington. It was in Tacoma, but the movie takes place in Seattle, pretty much. Yeah, and so which is pretty unique. Only Sleepless in Seattle, I think. As a other... Seattle movie, yeah, I think Seattle Sleepless in Seattle is probably the most known movie that takes place in Seattle. Most, yeah, yeah, and then I would say obviously they were one. also telling they were saying in the extra video that they didn't want to be compared to clueless right because it would which be was a massive success movie. right just a few years earlier mm-hmm. so it only yeah. made sense because if you look at some of the characters in the movie like they're like a little bit preppy especially bianca so a little bit preppy yeah yeah <laughs> uh they they do a clear nod though to clueless at the very beginning of the movie yeah yeah 
with the girls that are driving in like a in a drop top. Yes. Uh, what is that? A jeep? I don't even know. It's and a, then yeah, it's basically know. like the cast of Clueless. Pretty much. Sitting in the car, and then Julia Stiles rolls up in her like beater car. With the song, oh, what is that song? I don't give a I don't give a damn about my reputation. Like, oh my god, it's great. Oh yeah, it sets the tone immediately. Like who this character is, right? And what this movie will. This be. is not your clueless, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, now uh, before we get into because there's so much we want to get to. I know. Um, let's hurry up. Let's talk about some of the things that uh, you noticed on your rewatch of the movie. Oh man, okay. Yeah, I noticed a lot. So I'll go through this as quickly as I can. Okay. Um, so in the English classroom, there is a poster that says what is popular is not always right. And so I think I was like, oh, man, that that's amazing because this speaks to Kat's entire life philosophy, which is – and she even says it at one point, I think, just because everyone is doing it doesn't make it right. And more importantly, I think it doesn't make it right for you. To do what everyone else is doing. Right. Um, the way the cat marches to the beat of her own drum is admirable, refreshing, generally amazing. And it's really, really relevant in today's climate um, where the Me Too movement is active, where feminism is not just like a token thing for women to believe in and and spearhead like this is for everyone it really doesn't just mean i'm gonna hate guys um and a lot of the behind the scenes video things that we were watching they were singing praises about julia styles and saying how much she brought strength to the character how she brought this strength to the character um and this movie wouldn't be half of what it is without her, without her biting wit and without the strength that she gives to Kat. So shout out to her. And another thing that I noticed, the pearl necklace. Yeah. This is kind of downplayed in the movie, I think. But really I is. kind of read a lot into it, this rewatch. Um, Kat has a cow. Has <laughs> Kat a cow. has a cow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just leave it and just don't comment on it. So Kat has a cow. When she sees um, Bianca, her sister, wearing their mother's pearl necklace. And we find out, you know, through general dialogue. Again, this is not dwelled upon, but their mother apparently left them two or three years prior while they were still in high school. And I feel like the pearl necklace, it, there's something to it that maybe, maybe this whole abandonment is why she is such an outspoken feminist. I see. I don't, I don't know, because I, I don't know. I feel like there's something to it. But then she she ends up wearing them uh, later. Right. So it was really nice to see Kat wearing the pearl necklace to the prom um, later in the movie, which I didn't, again, no one says anything. It's just like, if you notice it, great. If not, whatever. But to me, it seemed like she was finally giving herself permission to embrace this stupid tradition because she literally calls it, oh, it's a stupid tradition when when Patrick is trying to get her to go. Yeah. Um, or maybe just take something back that her sister didn't deserve or appreciate. Yeah, because the sister in the Because the sister, first of all, she's awful. Yeah, she's She is bratty. very terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she's bratty. She's vain. She's just inconsiderate mildly manipulative and all these things um 
And so when she's wearing it, she's like, Julia's like, what? What are you going to just start wearing them now? And she's just like, well, it's not like she's going to come back to claim them. Like, super bitch move, right? You see the sister. Her sister's affected. And she's like, whatever. I'm still going to wear it. Yeah. That's. I think her, she finally ends it with like, besides, they look good on me. Yes. Oh, what? my God. So, so <laughs> vain. How can you say that? So vain. And she's like admiring herself in the mirror. So it was really, I feel like it was important that Kat was wearing the, the pearl necklace at the end. Um, but I mean, I don't know. She could be just embracing this feminine thing, this feminine icon, like the pearl necklace. Uh, or maybe like embracing a part of her mo- mother that she left behind because she's not close to her mom at all. I don't know. Well, yeah, because in the movie, and it's something that I keep forget, I completely forgot about, is that the they mentioned when she's fighting with her dad earlier in a scene, mm-hmm. uh, she's mentioning how, oh, um, how mom left. And I always yeah. thought that the mom just had passed away or something like that, but I yeah. didn't realize. No, she like up and left. Yeah, I, I completely didn't even pick up on that completely until this last rewatch. Uh-huh. So uh so that so I guess it's it's a bit of a nod of like I'm just accepting what is going on and I'm taking mm-hmm. control of everything. I'm not gonna let that affect me anymore. Uh, yeah. And so that's exactly. part of it. Uh, really quick, let's run through some of the funny little things that you notice. Um, Holy crap. So um, the running gag of Kat tearing down the prom poster and the girl coming out and being like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much <laughs> Which fun. was always funny, but I was like, oh, my God, it, this running gag is, like, perfect. So um, I don't I don't think we're, like, necessarily going to talk about music extensively, but this movie has – is heavy with the ska music. Oh my heavy. goodness. It is so heavy. I, and it's used to comedic effect because the music stops or like the beat like halts when funny or important things are happening on the screen. Oh, for sure. Uh, one of my f- uh, favorite moments, and I pointed it out to you guys, <laughs> is like at the prom, um, the band, the, they're like singing, I want you to know. And like, it's yeah. like this slow down. And then all of a sudden, yeah. and I told it as if it couldn't get 90s enough. And that's when the <laughs> trumpet, trombone, and sax come in. <laughs> and it turns to scotch. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I said something during when we were watching it too. Um, and this is kind of going off of recently we were watching Never Been Kissed, which is also heavy with the ska music. She even goes to like a ska <laughs> bar. Like, what is that? Like a dance <laughs> place? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so it was on my mind and I go, is it even a band if you don't have a trumpet, saxophone, and trombone in the 90s? Like, it's not oh a band goodness. unless you have those things. No, it's so, not. No, it's not. So that was really funny to see. Even the freaking prom band had a saxophone, trombone, and trumpet player. I, I, I just get, I'm shook. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's so, it, it, it's really funny. Um, yeah. Uh, let me see. What else? Uh, oh, man. The leather pants oh that Patrick God. wears to the club. Oof. Can we talk about those leather pants? That, that's a bad look. That's a bad look. It's my a friend. bad look for anybody, but somehow Heath Ledger manages to pull it off, and without me noticing, for all the years that I've seen this movie, I that he strolls up to this club 
in leather pants. Just in case uh, you didn't realize, this man is in full leather pants. Which, by the way, what type of club was Club Skunk? Because there were no men. Well, we counted it on one hand how many men were in there. Yeah, I think it was like the count was like five men in the club. Was it just because of the musical act, or was it because of the place? Because even so, he when they mentioned, ma- okay, let's talk about this. Because when they mention, oh, she's going to Club Skunk, they're performing at Club Skunk, her favorite band. And he, like, his face changes. He's like, oh, I can't be seen at Club Skunk. Yeah, he mentions that. Like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Like, I don't know. What kind of club is it? I don't know if it's just, like, a ladies club or it's, like, I don't know if it's saying something like all the the people that go there are kind of, like, on the outskirts of, maybe, oh, my God, do you think it was full of lesbians? And that's why he was like, I can't go there? Implication. That's what I thought. It just hit me right now. Because... Um, don't, uh, let me ask you this. Didn't they make a reference earlier in the movie about, um, at least Bianca, she says something about. Oh, she's not a Katie Lang fan. Right. She's not a Katie Lang fan. She's into Jared Leto, which. She has a picture of Jared Leto. (laughs) (laughs) Jared Leto. Oh my God. Another Uh, guy who doesn't age. Another vampire. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they make a reference about it. But, oh, but it's very vague. But again, like nobody comes out and says like what, why he's not into Club Skunk. I, I don't know if it, it feels like it's too, it's not as simple as, oh, he doesn't like that the, the musical acts that come to Club Skunk are no, always. No, no, because he makes the face about like, Club Skunk. Right. Right. So hmm. there's more to think about there. Um. One more, one more piece of comedy that you noticed. This one I sure. died with. I was and I didn't notice it so, until you pointed it out. Because, <laughs> so, um, oh God, what's his name? So, I don't know what his name is. Uh, but Bogey Lowenstein. No, 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 not oh. Bogey Lowenstein. Like the other guy, he um comes up with this plan to sabotage Bogey Lowenstein. Oh. <laughs> Because <laughs> Lowenstein. What was the rumor that he did? Uh, that he shopped. Uh, he he for- got his he got his polos from an outlet store. He got his he got his Izod polos from an outlet mall. Exactly, and so he was <laughs> mad about that. And he became a pariah of his of his group. Right, exactly. So that was Michael, he, by the way, the character right. Michael. Oh, what was his character? Michael. Michael. Oh man, so played by okay. David so Crumholtz. Yes. Yes, he was in the Santa Claus. <laughs> That's how you remember? This is oh always. Okay. Always. All right. So anyway, um anyway, they sabotage Bogey Lowenstein and they make it seem as if he's having a house party. Obviously Bogey doesn't have any idea. So he has like all these kids over. Obviously it's like a nerdy group in his house. Yeah. Future goes, NBAs only. Future MBAs only. And so this weird group of kids is sitting in his living room and the doorbell rings and he goes, oh, must be Nigel with the Brie. <laughs> and he, he goes, he doesn't even get to the door. They freaking tear down the door and a stampede of kids comes inside to set up this party. You know, BYOB style, bring your own beer. Yeah. Except Nigel really is there with the Brie. <laughs> He's like almost in the front of the pack being pushed. He's at the front of the pack with like a a silver dish of brie, like running with this plate of brie. 
that was that was a great touch. Oh my right god! There. Yeah, it's like blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. I was dying of laughter. Oh man, so dying, dying. So there's a yeah. lot of funny stuff that goes on in this movie, and right after this, we're gonna get into. Things that don't hold up, our favorite scenes, our favorite quotes, and some fun facts about the movie. So join us right after this. All right, so let's go ahead and let's talk about the things that don't quite hold up 20 years later. So uh, I'll let you take the first one, Jessica. This one's a, like a nitpick a little bit. Um, so on the rewatch, me and my sister turned to each other and we were like, yo, this movie ends super fast after the 10 things speech, like comically fast. You are right it's the about same that. day. What? You are right about that. Yeah, because it's the same day she is... I mean, ugly crying in class, The if, c- presumably a couple hours later, she just marches out to her car, sees the guitar, and then he's there and she's fine. Like, she has apparently forgiven him very, very fast, and then they make up, and the movie ends. It just feels really rushed. It does feel a rushed ending, mm-hmm. and, and it stinks because everything leading up to that felt, like, pretty well handled yeah like they gave it a lot of space right and then all of a sudden oh wait it's uh about to be the two hour mark we might want to wrap this up we gotta wrap it up so you know julia i mean cat's fine she is not giving him the silent treatment apparently she got all of her feelings out during her class speech the sonnet and then it just it feels too too way too fast yeah and and considering she was ugly crying and telling him, I hate that you didn't call. Like, it seems fine because the guitar is in the car now. Right, guitar is in the car and it's fine. And uh, I like Fender Strats as much as the next person. But you know what? <laughs> like, I just made a fool of myself in class. So, Yes, for sure. Now, something we else that doesn't quite hold up is uh, the money that Patrick gets for taking oh, out Oh, this cash. had us rolling. The cash that Patrick gets. Right. So initially, is, the initial yeah. offer is 20 bucks, And then when yeah. he sees Kat take out a girl in soccer. It's just like being super aggressive like, on the field. fine, 30 And then Heath Ledger starts negotiating. <laughs> All right, let's think about this. Uh, it's fifteen minute, uh, fifteen dollars for uh, movies. If which, er, hold on, right. fifteen dollars for two movie tickets. Well, then again, this was nineteen ninety nine, so inflation is real. It's <laughs> deep and it's real. So fifteen dollars for movie tickets. She's gonna want popcorn, so that's fifty three dollars. And I was like, whoa, how did it jump up to? 53? How did he jump from fifteen dollars to like fifty something dollars? She's gonna want raisins just for popcorn and yeah. Yeah, that was. And so that was then he, they finally negotiate seventy five, and then he comes back down to fifty. Right, and then later on, once like it gets tougher for Patrick to do it, then he's like a hundred bucks a date. And so at first, you know, of course, Joey is like, "Nah, man, you're done." And he's like, 
uh, you know, well, good luck with Bianca. Well, then forget her sister then. Yeah, exactly. And then his little smile. His little smile with the toothpick in his mouth. The toothpick in his mouth. How can he make that look attractive? But I think the most anyway. egregious one is prom 200 the prom, bucks. The prom. Yeah. And then Joey tells Joey's him. Joey's like, here's $200. This should cover the tux, the limo, everything. I'm like, no, no bro. No, it it's does not. not. <laughs> yeah. But then he, they yeah. settle on 300 after he wants out. And again. That's still not enough. Not enough. <laughs> that is not enough. But so that didn't hold inflation up. is real, people. Oh, my God. Believe. All right. Now, I know something really turned you off earlier in the movie uh, after <laughs> after okay. Bianca so, uh, kisses with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character the next day at yeah, school. So Bogey Lowenstein's party is like an event in the movie. And um, to make a long story short, the fashion in this movie is decidedly turn of the millennium. And like <laughs> this affects a lot of other teen movies of this era. Right. Because this was not a great time in fashion um, period. You know, like the platform flip flops were in mm. um, tube tops were a thing. Uh, barrettes in your hair were a thing. It, just the fashion was, was pretty dismal. Doesn't hold up. However, however, there is this one specific shirt that I just want to put through the blender because I hate it so much. <laughs> Beyond, it, it's it's god-awful. So um, after Bogey Lowenstein's party, Bianca's walking through this hallway of the school making eyes at JGL. Yeah. She is wearing this mousy lavender color shirt, T-shirt, in this like stretchy almost shiny material and right smack dab in the middle of her chest is this damn butterfly (laughs) and i can't account for it it is fugly the fugliest shirt i have ever seen and i hate it oh i hate it so much and i had to point it out because every it this was not just a reaction that i had on this on this rewatch oh my god every time i watch this movie it stands out like a sore thumb it is I, I just have no words. I oh hate it so much. It's so funny how everything how much else you hate is. That. I hate it, and everything else is forgivable. Um, everything else is forgivable. I I get it. This is 1999, but that shirt, <laughs> that shirt. Uh, another uh, thing that definitely would not hold up well is the way Patrick stalks Cat after the Bogey yes. Lowenstein's party. Yeah, I mean specifically after the Bogie Lowenstein party because they had this weird falling out where he didn't kiss her in the car and then she got mad. Right. So, but he, he follows her around town, um, creeping on her in the guitar store and side note, Julia Stiles vibing to her own, probably mediocre guitar playing (laughs) was so cringeworthy. Oh my God. Oh my god, that was really cringeworthy. And then she like senses him behind her, and she like opens her eyes and like kind of like sh- looks around shiftily. Like that was weird. Yeah, that whole. But that the whole thing fly. of him—you don't like, follow a girl around like that. Don't. Yeah, because uh, nowadays we have a an entire series that's built around stalking a girl by you. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, th- that doesn't don't really do hold that. up. It sucks sucks because it leads into a really cute part where he talks to her in the bookstore and she's like, have you been following me? (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> what are you doing here? Exactly. Um, and he goes, I've lost my copy of Feminist Mystique. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they have this little, like, spat. And then she, hand- she, like, shoves a copy of Feminist Mystique onto him. And that's how she, like, exit. And I'm like, just like, oh, my God, it's iconic. Like, she's so badass. Very badass indeed. Now, mm-hmm. let's jump in. But don't stalk anybody. Don't. Don't stalk anyone. That first off, yes, don't stalk anyone. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and let's talk about our favorite scenes. Okay. Uh, there's so many, uh, and feel free to jump in on any ones that you want to uh, talk about. But uh, okay, I'll jump way, in first. I, so, oh, what? What's up? I want to say this. Uh, what? All the ones we're going to mention are kind of like runner ups to a specific one, but we'll get to. Oh that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, get us started. So I like. Um, Anytime she's in the English class, it's hilarious to me. Oh, my God. Yes, the teacher. And the teacher is so funny. Um, But I think there's this one line where I'm like, oh, my God, this whole scene is great. Where she goes, I guess being an, being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time. Yes. And I'm like, shit, girl. She's so woke. So woke. Um, But that's really funny to me. Um. I think you want to follow that up with another moment. Oh, yeah. I definitely do. Yeah. Almost anything from Bogey Lowenstein's party can be <laughs> like gold. taken out. Gold. But there are yeah. two particular points. Uh, one is Joey uh, modeling by the beer tower. And he's showing off to Bianca like, <laughs> all right, so this is going to be this my underwear. underwear ad. And he like does burr, the pose. Burner, burr, 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 and then burner. he's like. And now this is my swimsuit one, and he does the same the exact pose. And then, it, did you see what I did there? <laughs> this eagerness. And then he turns around. All right, I'll just show them. And he like does it again for another <laughs> crowd of people. <laughs> oh, we're all congregating around Mr. Cuervo. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> Get the fuck out Fantastic. Um, <laughs> oh. oh, but uh, another a big memorable scene there is cat dancing. We mentioned it. We mentioned it before, but cats dancing. Cats dancing, which you said probably led her to get. Saved I the think last I read dance. that somewhere. Yeah. But uh, her dancing <laughs> led to her being in Save the Last Dance. Yeah, it's a pretty memorable scene. Uh, do you have another scene that you really enjoy? I think I don't want to like jump the gun. No, neither do I. So, uh, okay. the prom has a couple of moments for sure. All right. Uh, Patrick surprising Cat with her favorite band. I really like that moment. And I the really way Cat like screams, moment. like, "Oh my god!" Like so. Yeah, high because pitch. her reaction seems so genuine. Yeah, it's it's so genuine and just I don't know. It's so heartwarming to I me. I called to see in her a favor. It's her favorite. How the frick did he call in a favor? It's what a, kind of connections does he have? I don't know. A guy he didn't want to go to Club Skunk, but, yeah. but he calls in a favor. Exactly. And he gets the band, her favorite band, to perform at their prom. Exactly. Also at the prom, uh, Bianca punches Joey in the face a couple mm-hmm. times. Uh, my favorite reaction for that is after the first punch, damn it, Bianca, I'm shooting a nose spray tomorrow. <laughs> No spree out tomorrow. Oh, man. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Um, yeah. A good, a really good scene is Kat getting Patrick out of detention. I think yeah, it's Yeah, the funny. only, I just have a problem with her flashing the teacher. Well, that's the part. Bullshit that would never, I mean, never fly. 
No, no. And right. and that's another thing that like doesn't hold up. So that's another thing that doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flashing of the teacher. So right. uh any other any other little things that well, you can like think of. Well, like the teacher of? because of the whole like he confiscates some pie and then he confiscates a Cheetos yeah. bag. Your eyes That's are stupid. all bloodshot. <laughs> <laughs> You've got pot, don't you? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. But it mm-hmm. all pales in comparison to pales. to the number one scene and it is Patrick Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Wait, I really like the scene where after Bogie Lunstein's party, they're talking about what would you do to get her so mad? And um she flings like a soccer ball at the, at them. Oh yeah. That's really good. But actually I'm getting confused because there's another part where she rejects him very early on. Yeah, it's right after Joey and him make the initial uh-huh. deal. Yeah, so she rejects him and then our two um Guys, Michael and JGL. Yes. JGL goes, we're screwed. Hey, hey, hey. I don't want to hear that defeatist attitude. <laughs> we're screwed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I die every time. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, but so what is our number one moment? They Drum all Drum compare. Roll. They all pale in comparison to yeah. the moment where Patrick serenades Kat. You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you You'd be like heaven to touch I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true can't take my eyes off of you. Is the clear winner of this movie? Mm-hmm. Heath Ledger. I mean, singing. I'm fanning myself because Heath Ledger singing number one, two. There's choreography. Three. The entire moment is just so damn cute. Yes. So oh man, cute. it's so good. Um, yeah. And and it was everything leading up to it was that not so great stalker stuff that was going on. I know. So this is like his first real, like, he's going to woo her with everything he's got. Yes. And he picks a classic old song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something contemporary or anything. It's I Love You, Baby. <laughs> and it, it's such a great moment. I loved it. And it's one of the most memorable moments of the movie in general. When people yeah. talk about it, that is a scene that everybody brings up. Mm-hmm. So... And my favorite part of that scene, um, and <laughs> I, I didn't bring it going. up earlier I know where because going. I wanted to save it. I wanted to save it because it's part of the scene. But Heath Ledger is like trying to escape from these mall cop-esque school security guards. Yes. Who are like escorting him off the field, off the bleachers. And he is running around 
so much that one of them can't keep up. (laughs) (laughs) He runs past one of them and slaps the cop's ass. (laughs) And to this day, I can't watch it without, without laughing. It's really... I mean, I, I have no words. It's it, really good. It's such a great scene. And such a great scene. It really is. Multifaceted. Oh, man. So th- those are some, <laughs> those are our favorite scenes. Uh, if you're listening and want to, you know, tell us about some of your favorite scenes. What so, is your favorite scene? Are we missing something? Yeah. Are we missing something? Uh, yeah. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Always Critic Pod. So let us know there. Uh, speaking of Always Critic Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're going to move into favorite quotes, and these two favorite quotes that we're going to read first were actually from uh, people from responses that we put out for mm-hmm. favorite quotes. So this first one that you and I just love, <laughs> it is when Chastity and Bianca are walking through the school parking lot. We quote this one like all the time, I think. Oh, yeah, we do. And yeah. so it was actually brought to us by M at Verbal Diorama on Twitter. I know you can be overwhelmed, and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe. Oh, <laughs> oh man, it's so <laughs> ridiculous, but it's hilarious. We quote oh, it all God. the time. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's, it's so such fun. a good line. It really is. Or um, the other one, the difference between like and love. Oh, that's another one. That's really <laughs> early in the movie. <laughs> that's right around then too, though. Yes, and it's oh. like, what's the difference uh, between like and love? Well, I like my Skechers sneakers, <laughs> but I, I love, love my, my Prada, Prada handbag, Prada backpack. Yeah, and, and so um, then <laughs> Chastity's like, but I love my Skechers sneakers. Well, it's because you don't have a Prada, don't have a Prada backpack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that that's a great oh quote. Oh my god! Uh, between the yeah. two of them, it's funny. The next quote is brought to you by. After Hours T on Twitter. Check them out. Uh, his is when the dad is allowing them to go to the party, but before they leave, he has to put on the belly. The belly. So the quote was, every time you even think about kissing a boy, I want you to picture wearing this under your halter top. Halter top. I feel like halter top oh. is what sells that line. <laughs> oh, man. When, when they, he said, he's like, I want you to wear the belly. And Chastity just like, <gasps> <laughs> no, daddy. They're no. both like, oh my god, no. She's, yeah, Bianca's like, no, daddy. <laughs> He's like, just around the house before you leave. Oh my goodness! Uh, oh, another god. great line just from later on in that very moment is when the dad is like giving them the rules. Yes, uh, you love this one. <laughs> uh, it is. It's all right. Wait a minute. No drinking. No drugs, no kissing, no tattoos, no piercings, no ritual animal slaughters of any kind. Oh, God, I'm giving them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's another one from him where he's like, um, I'm up on the 411. Oh. I don't care how dope his ride is or something. Oh, Do you oh, know that line? Oh, I think no. he improvised that line. He might have improvised that line from what I heard, but he said uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. Can you even what, say with a straight face? I know it's it's like I've got news for you. I'm down. I've got the four one one, and you're not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. 
And that's when Bianca <laughs> walks away and he's still like on the bike, the stationary bike. And he's like, right. mama didn't raise no fool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he mentions like Dawson's Creek. Yeah, he mentions not even Dawson's <laughs> Creek. He's like, what's normal? Those Dawson's Those damn River kids da- sleeping Dawson's in each other's River beds. <laughs> So that dates the movie epically because Dawson's Creek Oh my god, Dawson's Creek. Oh, but even before that, he says one of my favorite lines. And it's like, yes, daddy, we'll dance, we'll kiss, we'll come home. It's not quite the crisis. And he's like, kissing. That's what you think happens. I've got news for you. Kissing isn't what keeps me up to my elbows and placenta all day long. All day long. Oh man, the, the dad is epic. The dad is epic. I there's one more from the dad that I just love and it's uh right at the beginning it's like I know what he's going to ask you and the answer is no. It's always no. What are the two <laughs> rules in this house? What number, are the two house rules? Number 1, no dating till no you graduate. Til you graduate. <laughs> number 2, no dating no till you graduate. Til you graduate. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh so that is uh patrick stratford mm-hmm. the dad uh we covered him he is my unofficial mvp of this movie <laughs> <laughs> comes in hot every time so yeah man oh he's got one more yeah. uh that i always forget oh. about but at the last second when they're about to go to the party and chastity is like mr stratford it's just a party he's <laughs> like, and hell is just a sauna and hell is just a sauna oh that is great but uh, how ironic that her name is chastity Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, that is so great. Uh, any any other smaller quotes that you can think of that are yes. So anything with Miss Perky. Oh yes, we didn't anything get enough of her. Anything with Miss Perky, who is played by Allison Janney. Janney, how do you say her last Janney. name? Janney. Janney. Um, another unofficial MVP. Yeah. Of this movie, because oh my god, she's writing. What is she writing? Like, she is smut? writing an erotic novel. Yes. Yes. Um, like those mass market ones with like the cheesy cover. Right. Like Fabio's on the cover of it. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, those. He, that's what she's writing. So every time the kids come to talk to her, she's writing this novel. <laughs> but um, I like the the – oh, man. I don't know like how to intro it but basically she has this she's talking to cat and she has this mug with a cat on it and she goes to tell you the truth cat and then she looks at the mug she goes cat and then i don't know i don't even know how she does the meow because it's not a meow she goes like yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) but the next one that's completely improvised oh for sure no yeah no doubt about it but the next thing that (laughs) happens is the best it's like yeah people perceive you as somewhat tempestuous heinous bitch is the term used most often (laughs) (laughs) oh man there's too many good lines there really there's too many yeah there really is. there's too many um but that's a really good one from miss perky um patrick has a good one uh, uh, with with Miss Perky though, uh, I want to cover that one first. Oh yeah, because he go- <laughs> he goes to her office because he was joking. He was joking with the lunch lady. He the lunch lady thought he was exposing himself, but he was he was like, oh, it was a bratwurst. It was a bratwurst. <laughs> she looks down 
at him down like yeah she actually looks crotch down. area then looks back at her face at his face and goes bratwurst well aren't we the optimist <laughs> next time Yikes. keep it in your pouch <laughs> next time uh-huh. keep it in your pouch <laughs> oh god it's so good okay so what, what was the line you were gonna say I was going to say Patrick has a moment with Kat after Kat breaks him out of detention. They're out on those like paddle boat things. Right on this big lake, which is I went on a duck tour once in Seattle and they (laughs) took us on that lake. So So they're talking about about the way Kat is and how she, you know, she sets out to disappoint people because if she disappoints them and they expect it, then, you know. Then you're covered. So mm-hmm. Patrick's is like, so you disappoint them from the start and then you're covered, right? Something like that. Then you screwed up. How? You never disappointed me. Oh, my uh, God. My heart. Yes. My heart. Just take. He just took it. Because, my God, he's so smooth. He really is. My God. He he, she, he also says um that thing in the car when she's kind of like recovering. She's drunk and he took her home. And he goes like... No offense, like, to everyone who loves your sister, but she's without. Right, which is something that, like, even now, we I still don't know what exactly that is supposed to mean. That she's lacking. She's not, um, she's not as great as, as she is, as Kat is. Right. She's without, like, everything that you have. Yeah, so right. I mean, anyway, he, there was a deleted scene, and they, that line was longer. Oh yeah, it right? was a longer. It was a longer line. Yeah. Yeah. So. And they cut it at um, she's without. Yeah, right there. She's without, and then yeah. the deleted scene has more. But yeah, that's a pretty good line. He is super smooth throughout a lot mm-hmm. of the interactions. So uh, now, the I think the number one though is, and we talked about it earlier, and it's. Catch Trafford reading the ten things. The ten things I hate her, about her. Her sonnet and supposedly I am big pentameter. Here it is. Listen to it here. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. That is such a great... Emotional. Emotional. Super emotional. Mm -hmm. And just like you mentioned earlier, she's only 17. When she's only here. 17 and like she's bringing down the house right uh, but what was the most surprising fact about this scene this was done in one take which and that's ridiculous. obviously the take they used in the movie that is ridiculous and no one knew she was going to cry right because it was just going to be a straight reading yeah that was totally i mean she brought the crew to tears with her performance and everyone was just kind of like oh my god look at what's happening she's crying and she i think there was an interview she did she was like i knew i i knew inherently that this was an emotional scene and that i was supposed to be emotional but 
during the read through, I just read the 10 things as if I was reading like the phone book. Oh, wow. it was not it was not this this really high intensity performance that ends with her ugly crying in front of the class. Yeah. Oof. So, I mean, the fact that she like broke when on the line, even worse when you make me cry. Yeah, ugh. she she sells the master hell out of that moment. Masterful. Very good. Uh, mm. So those are our favorite quotes. Uh, also, uh, can we talk about how there's like more than 10 things, though? Uh, yeah, there is. But I think if you. I if, started counting and I was like, this is not 10 things. It's like a lot, like 14, maybe. Right. That is true. I, and I will agree with you there. I'm willing to forgive it, but it's just like, oh, it's a number, but it's not the right number. So. <laughs> Another nitpick. But, the entire movie is 10 things I hate about you, and there's more than 10 things. If, if you if you listen to it, she kind of combines different things together, even though like she's naming them like separately. I but like, like, I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut here. That, that's so two that's, things for me. Right. To me, that's two things. No, it sounds like, it sounds like uh, two things for sure. But if you're looking at sentence structure, it's really one, one sentence and two like things. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think like the 10 things, it's kind of by mm. by sentence structure, not necessarily oh. by the actual numbering of things. Right. Uh, so uh, those are our favorite quotes. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with some fun facts about the movie. Uh, we'll take turns naming off some of these fun facts that we found out mm-hmm. about the movie. Uh, I'll start it off. Uh, cool. So the film title, it was actually inspired by one of the f- movie screenwriters who was going through her high school diary and she found the list that she made of things she hated about her then boyfriend so that's where the which is you know genius for sure (laughs) um i like this one a lot because at the end of the movie there is a really cool shot of the her favorite band letters to cleo which i don't think that's their name in the movie i feel like that's a facsimile for no doubt but it well (laughs) i mean they look like no doubt they sound like no doubt. They look yeah. like no doubt. It's not no doubt. It's not no doubt. Not no doubt. Double negative. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of the movie, they're performing at the on the roof of the school. And that was actually super dangerous because the helicopter basically was, was coming in really close. And they were telling them, oh, you know, each time the helicopter goes up, it's like 500 grand. So you got to do this right. You got to do this right. So there's a lot of pressure on the band to do a perfect take. And the helicopter was like coming in really close. And obviously there is no safety net around them. It's just like them on the roof. And if one of them goes off, then that's, that's just too bad. This movie never sees the light of day. (laughs) Right. Right. They'll use the good take and be like, oh, tragedy on set. Okay. Uh, The next one, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the movie, his character learns French so he could tutor Bianca. But in real life, he's actually fluent in French. Who knew? So I didn't have to really uh, stretch too much for that part. Yeah. Um, so before we were saying that Larissa... I, I Olenic. Olenic. Who it, is Alex Mack to me. Okay. You don't know... Oh, wait right. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. You, no, do you there's know, nothing there. You don't know Alex Mack? There's nothing there for me. Oof. What are you... Who is this? So Alex Mack 
is it's called The Secret <laughs> World of Alex Mack. It was a show on Nickelodeon back in the 90s. Oh, see, I wasn't too much of a Nickelodeon kid. So anyway, the the <laughs> the, the premise of the show, she's Alex Mack. One minute she's walking home. Then the next there's a crash. She's, she's drenched in some weird chemical. Then she gets powers. It's like a Nickelodeon superhero? Yeah, pretty much. But she's, a, you know, like a preteen girl who still goes to school and all that. So so she has powers. This was the biggest tangent. Yeah, I know. Sorry. But yeah. Okay, so it's fine. So Loren, <laughs> she wanted to play Kat originally because she felt really close to the role. However, she really did attend Sarah Lawrence. Yes. The college that Kat is accepted in in the movie. Yeah, so... I still can't imagine her as Cat, but no, uh, fun not. little fact there. Uh, the yeah. school, Padua High School, where all the characters attend, it's a reference to Padua, the setting of the play, the Taming of the Shoe. Piggybacking off of that, Patrick Verona, his last name is the his birthplace in the play. Yes, for the equivalent character in the play. Right, because it would be so-and-so of Verona, which I can just look it up, like, really quick. While you're looking that up, um, another thing about Shakespeare, the Stratford sisters are called so in homage to Shakespeare's birthplace, Stratford-upon-Avon. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, a lot of Shakespeare stuff going on here, left and right. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, this is actually... Doesn't need to be that difficult. Oh, is <laughs> okay. So this is why I was like, "Why? Why can't I see like what's the equivalent name in the Taming of the Shrew?" So Petruchio, right? Petruchio is his name. A gentleman from Verona. There it is. Oh wow, this is funny. So he's actually his character. His characterization is loud, boisterous, eccentric, quick-witted, and frequently drunk. He's come to Padua to wive and thrive. Can I get that on a bumper sticker? I've come here to, to wife, wive and drive and thrive. Wive and thrive. Wow. Wishes for nothing more than a woman with an enormous dowry. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> he finds Kate to be per- a perfect fit, disregarding everyone who warns warns him of her shrewishness. He eventually succeeds not only in wooing Catherine, but in silencing her tongue and temper with his own. Hey. Well, I don't like that bit, but um, <laughs> anyway, this is from Spark Notes. Gotcha. Uh, you know. The next thing, uh, during filming, uh, David Crumholtz, who plays Michael, taught Andrew Keegan how to best draw a dick on his face. <laughs> right, because apparently Andrew Keegan didn't know how to draw a dick. <laughs> I mean, that's the most bizarre like thing, right? So these these last two are gonna pale in comparison. <laughs> oh God! We already mentioned it. Julia Stiles was only seventeen when she made this movie. Yeah, and finally that this was Heath Ledger's first American movie. Um, but yeah, the that last one of uh, David Crumholtz and Andrew Keegan. <laughs> So random, but yeah. <laughs> they were so, oh my God, they're so young. They were so young. They were so young. Yeah. So that that's all we got here on our end. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, 
how do you guys feel about this movie? Tell us what your favorite scenes are. If we missed a quote. Oh, yes. And we probably Uh, did because there's so many. And I know that we did. I know that we missed quotes because those, I mean, they're dime a dozen. There's so many good quotes from this movie. Yeah. So let us know on social media. That's always Critic Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can even go to our website where we have all our podcast episodes and written reviews. Uh, That is always thecriticpod.wordpress.com. And let us know. Let us hear your thoughts. Subscribe to the show because we got so much coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Right around the corner is Endgame. Uh, we got some stuff planned for oh, that. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. I know. Jessica's not a fan. Uh, is anyone else looking forward to being trapped in a theater for three hours? <laughs> uh, but uh, Oh, you are? Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, next week, we're going to be <laughs> Literally everyone but it. me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We're going to be prepping for it next week. And so so stick around on our social media fe- uh, feeds. We'll be posting what we're going to be talking about in the future. Other than that. Happy 50th to us. Happy 50th to us. Happy 20th. And happy 20th to 10 things I hate about you. We'll catch you next time on Always the Critic Podcast. <laughs>